0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Brenna, Really nice to meet you. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: It's so wonderful to be here, Ethan. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: You are very, very welcome. I love what you're doing down in Denver, but before we talk about that, we always love to get a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment.
1: Well, thank you. Well, I won't give you my whole life story, but I am a Colorado native. I was born and raised in Telluride and from a very young age had a Deep love of the natural world instilled in me and a a deep sense of community roots and kind of the interconnectedness between humanity and the environment was just part of my upbringing. Um, From there, I ended up moving to Hawaii and spent about seven years in Hawaii where I went to school, studied um, hospitality management, business, as well as environmental sciences. And that was really before you could do a sustainability degree in college. So I actually did an interdisciplinary study to blend environmental sciences and business and no one could quite grasp what I was trying to do back then but kind of forged that trail really glad that I did um, lived in Hawaii for about seven years and then moved back to Colorado in 2011 and since then have been really seeped in the sustainability scene here in Colorado um, predominantly the the first part of my career really was in the corporate world and corporate social responsibility. And I worked for some pretty large companies, Starwood and Marriott. Um, If you recognize those brands, they've since merged, but previously were separate, Uh, really running sustainability programs for restaurants, hotels, resorts. And this was about 15 years ago. So before there was um, typical standard practices across the hotel chain. So it was a really exciting time to be in the industry. Uh, Did that for many years. And uh, that brought me back to Colorado here, back to my home state. And when I was here, I started doing um, acquisitions and mergers. So traveling to oversee when the company would buy new properties. And I would go out and do, you know, roll out the new brand and roll out new sustainability practices. And it was fun, but I was traveling a lot and I really wanted to see the, um, the deeper impact of my work in the community in which I was, and I also really wanted to focus on um, on sustainability more than just a side tangent of a job. I wanted that to be everything that I did, and at that point, I'd been living back in Denver for a couple years, known about the Alliance Center, and fell in love with the organization, um, so it was quite a journey to finally get in with the Alliance Center, and I've been there now for for seven years, and it's really been a dream
0: come true. Very cool, and you are the director now, but um, before we- I am. Yeah. Before we talk about the Alliance Center, I'm wondering if your time working in like hospitality and tourism in the hotel industry, if when you would speak to customers, would they be like, oh, when you say, oh, I'm the sustainability director of the hotel or or something like that, would they be like, oh, that's cool? Or would they be like, yeah, whatever?
1: It really depends. I mean, it, yeah, it's really nuanced to the individual person, whoever you're speaking to. And also the brands. You know, a lot of time when we would deal with the luxury brands, the five-star hotels and resorts, there's um, both more of an interest in caring for the environment, but also a attitude of don't let it interfere with my luxury. You know, so have it be behind the scenes. I don't want to put any effort into it. I just want to know that it's all being taken care of for me. And then particularly when we'd work with some of the um more economy brands, there was still a desire and interest from the voice of the customer, but really from an economic lens too, because you know understanding the impact of our dollars and cents and how that impacts your own personal wallet and the environment, I think there was just a different conversation that could be had. Um, but very commonly what we would get from our customers is support in what we're doing, but wanting it to not impact their stay. You know, it just wanted to be a streamlined process that they don't have to put effort into. And that was pretty consistent, I think, no matter where I was operating or what brand I was operating.
0: And I'm going to wager a guess that if you were the guest, you would be willing to be in convenience if it were more sustainable. Am I correct?
1: I love that question, Ethan, because I I challenge myself and my family when we travel. We have two young boys as well. And just seeing, you know, the amount of environmental waste that comes through raising kiddos is just astonishing. Um, And we talk about that, my husband and I do, when we travel, as far as, you know, what, what more would we be willing to put in or give up in order to reduce our environmental impact? And I think I think we do have to find the sweet spot when it comes to vacations and time off because that's where we go to escape. And, you know, how, how can we actually do that in a way that allows people to fully engage in that vacation while also minimizing their impact? And I think there's a lot that can be done actually behind the scenes. But to directly answer your question, yes, I am definitely willing to uh, to make that. Um, make that. I wouldn't even call it a compromise because I think some part of the disconnect in in society is that it's a trade-off. It has to be either or. And the truth is it can be both. And it can actually be more if we set up the systems, if we design the systems to support that, we can actually have it all. It doesn't have to be a trade-off between environmentalism and luxury.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I love the idea of efficiency Mm -hmm. and how the Mm -hmm. systems, people think that, oh, we have this amazing system now, look at what it's given to us. But Actually, we have a lot of inefficiencies and the system can be even better and usually becoming more sustainable or more regenerative, in my, in my opinion, as we'll get into talking later, um, is just objectively better in, in so many different ways. But before we, we kind of get into the nitty gritty, I just want to pe- press a little bit more um, You said you were always interested in nature. I'm just wondering where your yearning to do more and, and objectively have a positive impact comes from.
1: Probably my parents and my upbringing. Um, Telluride is such a unique community. And you know now I think it's people kind of think of it as like mountain luxury, right? Those ski resort towns and those beautiful summer vacations with breathtaking views. And it still is that. My parents moved there. They've been there. Um, they're coming up on 50 years living in Telluride with kind of a, a really strong community group of folks that all moved there back in the same time, the 60s and 70s. You know, And they were like the hippies that came in to the old mining town before the ski resort opened. And the values that I was raised with are just so deeply rooted in community and in nature. And, um, you know, it was just really instilled in me from my parents, but also from all my parents' friends. And one of our favorite um, vacations every single year was a week-long river trip when we'd go down the Gates of Lador, the Green River, with the same group of about 30 people, a lot of kids my aides, and my parents' friends. And there was just something that was such a deep learning experience I can't really put words to it because you know there's no electricity no running water you're out in the middle of wilderness with people you love most and people who love you and being able to just truly be human in a natural setting to take you know the built construct of society out and just be rugged humans in a beautiful environment um, is just something that is will be with me forever and I think it really instills in me the the passion to um to help heal. And really that's what regeneration is, is healing, healing our relationship with each other, with ourselves and with the natural world. And I think that's a lot of where that drive comes from for me.
0: Put me in the car. I love the drive. (laughs) I'm I'm on board. So I've listened to a couple of your talks before we did this uh, interview and I love what I describe as your vision of like the future of the world and your ideas on how to get there. So I was wondering if you could kind of share, share that with the audience right now as best you can, obviously.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the way I describe my vision for the future kind of ebbs and flows with with what's going on now, but really, you know, where I see us currently living is a time of great transformation. And, you know, humanity has come leaps and bounds over the last centuries, you know, but if you do study the arc of humanity, there's some very dark, um, dark times, and we have really embodied that trauma in ourselves and in the natural world and the world that we're living in now. And I think you're seeing the manifestation of those symptoms. Um, So where we're going, you know, I think is, is a world where we can share prosperity on a healthy planet. And in order to get there, we have to heal. And again, really healing, starting with ourselves, like how, what's my my interpersonal relationship with myself? And then how does that impact how I connect with others, with my family, with my workplace, with the greater environment? And so I think in order for us to actually get into this vision of the future that I, I hold so dear, we have to really focus on healing and redesigning systems. You know, I, I really do feel that every single system that governs and shapes our lives needs to be reinvented for a vision of a future where we can live in harmony with each other in the natural world, where we can really understand the interconnectedness of all things. You know, we're not siloed. You and I are doing this, you know, talk miles apart, but we're connected. And, you know, we, so are we to people across the world and the actions that we take today have ripple effects much greater. And so I think my vision of the future is for people to understand that and to know that how great of an impact their one action, their one word has, even if it's seemingly disconnected to the greater world. Um, You know, I think if we look at the systems that do govern our lives, from education to healthcare, to government, to politics, to food systems, the built environment, every single one of those is broken, in my opinion, or some folks will push back on me and say, no, Brenna, they're working the exact way they're designed, Mm -hmm. right? Systemic oppression continuing extreme wealth building for a few and, you know, increasing poverty for others. Um, So I think we have to really be conscious of um, what is that vision of the future we're holding and how can we do that together? Because it's not just my vision that's important, right? It's how can we collectively come together as humanity to elevate that? more specifically, if, if we're actually like closing your eyes and picturing the neighborhood you're living in, there's more green spaces, more co-located communities where you can live and work and have childcare right there, where food is grown locally and where the children of the community are, are engaged in actually raising that food, feeding themselves. It's more nutrient rich. You reduce the transportation cost. You reduce the emissions of transportation, building deeply rich communities having learning environments that nurture the whole child instead of compartmentalized skills and, you know, try to fit the creativity of a child just learning their body in this world into a, you know, a a desk learning and standardized testing. Um, So, I mean, I could keep going on, but I definitely think that the, the last thing I'll talk about here would be our energy systems as well. You know, right now we have a very centralized energy system based off extractive industries and they got us to where we are today. I mean, look at what we have. It's it's incredible, but they're not what can carry us forward anymore. So, as we're looking at designing how we engage with our energy sector, I think we're going to need to start looking at mass scale distributed generation, microgrids in every community, solars on every roof. Um, I do dream. I geek out on this, Ethan, about kinetic energy powering our world. Like, could we capture kinetic energy from roads and cars and elevators and subways, people walking, and have that be on site generation? Um, so things like that are, are kind of where I geek out on and where I said it ebbs and flows depending on what's going on. Sometimes I give myself that reality check. You know, am I just a dreamer with no reality or no pragmatism to it? And then other times really grounding that in, in the reality of, yes, we can get there. And here are the technical solutions. And here's the science behind all of that. The money exists. The scientific breakthroughs exists. The technology exists. I think it's a matter of the political will for us to actually build into this future.
0: I'm just. I'm so glad I asked that question. I'm, I'm in love with that entire soundbite. I I don't even know how how to respond. Brenna, Breno, what's the what's the Alliance Center? I I I'm serious. That was. There's so much value in everything you just said. Um. So what is what is the Alliance Center?
1: Well, thank you, Ethan. So the Alliance Center is a nonprofit that I run. It is headquartered in Denver, Colorado. We're right by Union Station. We were founded in 2004. And we really exist to bring people together to solve systemic problems. We do that in a number of different ways. Uh, First and foremost, we own the building that we operate, which is, like I said, right by Union Station. It's about a 40,000 square foot commercial building. Um, A little data point that's about relevant to about 90% of the commercial space in the United States. So You'll, hopefully, that will have relevancy as I continue to share what we do with that building. Um, but the building itself, we leverage as a living laboratory for how can you actually reduce the environmental impact of operating a commercial space while increasing human health and wellness. And it, typically, in the past, those things have been somewhat contradictory. What I mean by that is it's hot in the summer. You go inside. You want AC. AC is taking a lot of energy to run, kicking out greenhouse gas emissions. So those two things right there kind of set us up for environmental impact goes up, but human comfort also goes up. So we do a lot of different experiments in the building to see how can we reduce our environmental impact while still having human comfort in the building. And now even more so with wellness, looking at air quality. Um, We also, and I, I can share much more about the Living Lab later as well. Those are just a few little sound bites. Within the building, we also have tenant organizations. So we have about 50 50 nonprofits and a few for profits that office out of the building as a collaborative shared space. And we're very intentional about how we cultivate that community. So, in order to be a tenant in the Alliance Center, organizations have to be values aligned, mission aligned towards community, economic, or environmental well being. So within the the tenants in the building, we do a lot of um, community building, a lot of cross-pollination between the tenants, helping groups that are working on similar items connect, um, and making sure that the environmental movement, the social movements, and the economic movements towards a better future are really unified in Colorado for greater collective impact. Um, And then the, the other way that we really are... Bringing people together to solve problems is through our network. So, since 2004, we've intentionally cultivated a network of change agents. And those are folks that we define as people who want to make the world a better place and do something about it, right? Not just complaining all the day, but actually moving into action to do something about it, much like you're doing with your practices, Ethan. And um, so, we built a network across government, for profit, nonprofit, community organizations and media groups and academic institutions and we convene leaders in this network to first identify some of the largest problems that we're facing currently in our communities identify what solutions could be and then wherever possible move those thoughts the solutions into action through community-led initiatives and i can share you know an example of one of those here in a bit yeah, but suffice do. it to say i'm sorry
0: Yeah, yeah yeah please do
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to wrap up the Alliance Center really is a nonprofit and we exist to bring people together to solve systemic problems and we really do that by demonstrating sustainability in action and mobilizing change agents to accelerate solutions.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My next question was just going to be like what are the most imp- impactful projects that have spun out from the Alliance Center?
1: Great. So there's, uh, you know, a couple and uh, I, I could probably go on all day about this, but I'll try to just pick a couple examples. So first with the, uh, the Living Laboratory, and that's, again, really how we use our building as an incubator for innovation, a test site. We've done a number of different projects over the years with our building. Um, one I think that is really important to share is that our building is all electric, meaning we don't run on natural gas at all. This is very significant because as we look to transitioning our energy grid to renewable energy, we need to electrify our buildings. So even if we were to be 100% renewable energy right now, our buildings, our homes, our offices, our hospitals, our schools still are connected and rely on natural gas to heat and to cool, or to heat and then for the water as well. And so we have to actually transition the infrastructure to be ready to receive an, a, a renewable energy grid. And so in 2014, we actually renovated our building and went all electric foreseeing this change and also wanting to give a, a test case that, yes, you can retrofit a 40,000 square foot commercial building that, you know, has hundreds of people in it every day, thousands of people in it every year to be all electric. So we've done that. Um, we also have a microgrid in our building, so We have solar on our roof. We have battery storage in the basement. And we, are, we use that microgrid to test many different technologies as it relates to the um, transition to renewable energy and how buildings inter- interact with the grid. Um, Another project that we've done with the Living Lab recently was actually install a uh, bi-directional EV fast charger. So I'll geek out on this one just for a little bit, but basically what it does is that the car battery can actually run backwards. What do I mean by that? It means that the battery can actually take charge from the battery and feed it back into the building. And then you can take it from the building and feed it back into the car. So it's a two-way charge that you can run this battery. Typical batteries, typical charging stations only run one way from whatever it's plugged into your house, your garage, the building, into the car, and that's it, which is wonderful, right? That's a great technological solution. We have electric vehicles. This bi-directional charger, like I said, can actually run both ways. Why would we want to do that? Well, as we're looking to advance to renewable energy, um, there's difficulties with balancing peak demand. So as everyone goes home at five o'clock and everyone powers up their houses and um, you know turns on the heat, turns on the AC, whatever that may be, it's called peak demand. And so everyone's demand surges on the grid. And that can be very difficult, especially as we look at a reliable grid, 24-7, reliable operation um, with 100% renewable energy. We need to pair that with storage and backup. And so there is a theory that if we can apply these bidirectional chargers at scale, imagine them all parking lots, all office buildings, we can actually help offset peak demand. So when you drive your EV to work and you go in, we're about to surge peak demand at work because computers go on, lights go on, ACs go on. We can take that charge from the battery in the car into the building to help offset peak demand. The other reason why that's significant is because there's peak demand surcharges from utilities. So we get charged a higher rate during these peak demand times. And so if we can use these technologies with on-site usage to offset peak demand, it can have energy savings, it can reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and it can have cost savings for the building operators. Um, so we do cool projects like that where we install these bits of technology, we test them before they go to market, we work with different groups to study the, the results of that and help to model what could... The these types of solutions be at scale. Um, So those are some of the cool things that we've done with the building.
0: So, So who exactly is we when it comes to the Living Laboratory and how are these people getting funding to work on these projects?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, some of our staff focuses on the living laboratory specifically that the team that operates the building and a lot of what we've been able to do actually is through different in-kind support. So the, you know, the bi-directional charger that I mentioned was a partnership with another nonprofit and they actually, or another organization, and they actually were able to donate the charger to us. We paid for the install. Um, we got a Nissan LEAF in, in uh, response to that to actually model it. So a lot of the projects that we do with the building are through um, what what we call in-kind support, where we have agreements with other groups that donate their products, donate their services, because they want to use our building as a test site.
0: Really, really cool. Can, can yeah. you explain a bit how the environment that you're working in or the building is actually promoting wellness and then like increasing productivity for the people who are working there when they're inspired by all the cool things going on?
1: Yeah, I love it. So I, what I'll share is anecdotal and something that we've really been wanting to do, Ethan, is quantify that. You know, can we actually start to capture measurable increase in productivity because of how folks interact with our building? And we are making some pretty good strides with that when the pandemic hit. So you can imagine we're a shared space building. It's been a lot different over the last two years with the pandemic. It hasn't been as um, full as it was before with people in the building. So it's a bit harder to test that now. Um, But some of the wellness things we do are, you know, we have like a meditation room that anyone in the building can reserve and and go meditate in. And we also do community yoga. We used to do that in person regularly when everyone was there. And now we do a couple classes a month, Um, really focus on health and wellness workshops, mental health workshops with with folks. We even have a couple coming up with like life coaches about empowering folks to design their life and really lean in. So we look at health and wellness from mental health, physical health, and and then also the community connectivity. Something that we have heard time and time again from the tenants and the community at the Alliance is that the connective tissue that we are within our community is just so invigorating. Um, when you walk into the building, when you're able to connect with people, the the synergies that happen there, it's truly magic. And that is definitely contributing to folks you know buy into the community engagement and then also their productivity but as far as like quantifying that we we haven't been able to actually land a study to do that just yet
0: yeah and i wonder if the, it seems like that even if we do like the whole metaverse thing where you put your headset on it seems like there's no way to replicate the the in person interaction like even mm. now like i love this podcast but it would be a totally different show if we were in person i wonder what you see the fu- like the future of that it seems like we're moving more and more to our own individual little boxes but we're still mm-hmm. so interconnected i don't know how to deal with that reality
1: yeah that's a deep and troubling question to me too ethan i i appreciate the advancements that technology and ai has enabled us to accomplish but i really worry about them cuz part of what makes us human is just that connection with each other and it's so hard like you said to replicate that across the screens and there's You know, there's actual science about the magnetic waves our hearts put out. And if, you know, when we're all together, the magnetic waves of your hearts actually can pick up on each other. And when we're apart, we miss that. And so I do worry about the long-term impacts it's going to have if we do end up slipping into the metaverse. Um, Gosh, there's a book. I'm going to blank on it now, but it's all about, they just made a movie of it too. It's all about like how the metaverse takes over and we kind of forget about the real world because everyone's seeped in AI so I do see some benefit in that, but I, I really hope that we can um, maintain grounded to this human experience on this earth, and you know, really find ways to come together in person again in community. It's it's quite magical.
0: Are you talking about Ready Player One?
1: yes, yes, that's the one. <laughs> yeah,
0: and you just made me sad. Now I feel like I'm missing out on all your awesome heart waves. I'm like, oh. That's, 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 I'm that's, sending
1: them that's. to you across the ether, Stephen. <laughs> I,
0: I appreciate it. Um, let's talk about another really cool project that's happening in the Alliance Center, the uh, Regenerative Recovery Coalition. And folks who listen to this show know, I'm, I am I started off with no no information about climate change at all. I was a business major and I was looking into sustainability. How are we going to get CO2 emissions down? And once I discovered the school of thought of regeneration, Regeneration. I've become obsessed with it, so I'd love to hear about what you're doing at at the Coalition.
1: Well, thank you. I'd love to share more about the Regenerative Recovery Coalition. It's really uh, my pride and joy these days. I love being able to to spend time with this. And before I do jump into that body of work, I want to just define regenerative for our listeners because that may or may not resonate with some folks. Um, I, I do get a lot of people will say, what's regenerative, Brenna, I just got my head around sustainability now. Now I have to learn something all new. So I just want to address that for, for one quick moment. Regenerative to me really is synonymous with healing. And I've, I've said that a couple of times, but it's it's truly healing at its simplest terms. You think of uh, a lizard whose tail comes off, his tail regenerates, it regrows. Think of a forest fire that burns and that burn scar that's just devastating, well, as the land heals, it's regenerating. The grass grows back. The soil becomes more fertile. The trees grow back. That's regeneration. Our bodies are naturally regenerative. If anyone can rem- remember back when you were a kiddo and you fell and scraped your knee, right, there is like that ugly, awful cut, that raspberry. It hurts. And when the scab is forming, it's stiff and it's awkward. And you're like, what is this? But then it heals. That's your skin regenerating. So nature is naturally regenerating. Humans as part of nature are naturally regenerating. But what we've done is actually interject, interrupt this natural cycle of regeneration. The carbon cycle is a cycle of regeneration. Nature naturally produces carbon into the atmosphere and draws it back down in our forests, our oceans, our grasslands. But we've interrupted that cycle. Um, So the concept of regeneration, I think, is really important just to really uh, ground for what I'm about to share. The last thing I'll say from this kind of overarching definition of regeneration is thinking of it on a spectrum. And there's this great graphic from the Regenesis group that starts really on the far left, which is business as usual, exploitive, extractive. Things are separate. Everything is siloed, compartmentalized. And that's kind of business as usual. That's kind of where a lot of companies, a lot of people, our economy operates. When you move one step up, it's doing a little less bad, you know, green one, one step up, trying a little bit, but you're still polluting, we're still extracting, we're still exploitive. One step beyond that is sustainable, and that's right in the middle of the spectrum. And sustainable is a good thing, but by definition, right, it's just, it's self-sustaining, it's maintaining, it's not actually hurting, but it's not actually thriving or healing, it's just maintaining a system. So that's good, but it's not our end goal. If you move one step to the right past sustainability, you get to restorative. And that's where we start to look at healing the harm that was done. One, past step, one step past restorative, that's the gold standard. That's regenerative. And that actually means healing the harm that was done and creating new systems that don't create more harm. So regenerative is not polluting, using tons of, you know, producing a lot of GHG, greenhouse gas emissions, and then, oh, trying to offset them with carbon wrecks that's sustainable, right? You're you're still polluting, but you're you're taking it back. So you're you're maintaining that status quo. Regenerative is not doing harm to begin with and healing the past harm that was done as we move forward. So that's my little geek out on the term regenerative.
0: Can, and I, then you can ask, I geek out for a second? Yeah, there as yeah, well? go for it. So the, the thing that I love to think of is that when you go to the gym and you lift weights, what you're doing is you're tearing your muscles. And then when you go and you go home and you go to bed, you don't gain muscle at the gym. You gain muscle when your muscles are like broken because you've, you, you've tried to do something that's never been done before. You've tried to put up more weight than you did in the past and you, you tear muscles and your muscles have this natural ability to regrow. So when you go home and you rest and you eat your protein, that's when you regenerate. I just wanted to throw that in.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So there's, there's so many examples of how our bodies are naturally regenerative. And I love putting it in those terms because I feel like we can really relate to it. You know, everyone has a body, <laughs> whether or not, you know, what ability that body is, that's everyone's own journey, but everyone has a body. And so being able to understand regenerative principles as it relates to something that, you know, we can all touch and feel every day, I think just helps ground it. So
0: Definitely. yeah, that's a
1: great example. So you asked me about our newest body of work. So when um, when the pandemic hit in 2020, um. You know, I really did some deep reflection and listening sessions through our network. So I mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, the Alliance has this vast network across all sectors, government, academia, for-profit, nonprofit, media, community, et cetera, et cetera. And in March, when the pandemic hit, you know, I reached out to a lot of my contacts in the network key leaders of organizations, key government leaders to understand, you know, what are they going through? How are they adapting just to to learn, to share best practices, to commiserate? Um, And what became very clear to me after maybe a week of these listening sessions was that everyone was in crisis mitigation. And rightly so. We were in crisis. We kind of still are. And it was a convergence of multiple crises, right? Climate change, the economy, race reckoning, the environment, um, COVID (laughs) politics. Um, And so there wasn't a lot of long-term planning for how do we leverage these times of immense change to build a better future. It was very much segmented on or siloed on like, how do I get through this? How do I, you know, what's next? How do we move to virtual work? And, you know, how do we get masks? How do we not get COVID? That was, we were in survival mode. Um, And so that needed space. We needed people focusing on that. But I was reflecting on where are my skills best served? Where does the organization I lead fit into this? And how can we actually serve our community beyond what we are currently doing? And that's when it became very clear that there was a big gap in long-term planning for how we leverage these times of change. So at that point, I reached out to our contacts with Governor Polis' administration and asked them, hey, what are you doing? And you know, they basically said the same thing. We're crisis, crisis mitigation mode, Brenna, like... Please give us space, and so I actually said, you know, can we co-create something together about a long-term plan for Colorado? And they said, yep, if you can lead it, we'll be we'll partner. So at that point, we ended up convening a series of listening sessions. Um, we launched them in April, April 2020, and they went through July of 2020. So pretty rapid. They were all virtual, and that actually we weren't sure what was going to happen. You know, at first we're like, oh, we'll get 10 people. By the end of the sessions, we were overwhelmed with too many people trying to join to have a functional meeting, but we are very inclusive. You know, everyone came. We ended up interviewing hundreds of people all across the state, um, many people from the administration. The governor himself came. You know, we talked to politicians, single mothers, CEOs, landowners, um, students, climate activists, subject matter experts, you name it, all different, all different folks from all different walks of life, and we asked similar questions, you know, how is COVID changing your life? What is the future you want coming out of this? And we looked at different systems that govern our lives from energy to uh, democracy, to food systems, transportation, the built environment. Um, and, And through those listening sessions, we are really trying to hear commonalities that no matter what topic we are talking about, these were the drumbeat. These are the common things that people were saying. And those became the fundamentals for a regenerative recovery. There there are eight of them. They're building blocks for a regenerative future. And these came from Coloradans. This wasn't me making these up on my computer. It was done from listening sessions from people all across the state um, and and through the series of the summer of 2020. And, you know, I encourage listeners to think back, what were you doing the summer of 2020? Just remember that point of time was just so pivotal. There's also this quote, a famous quote from Winston Churchill that says, never let a good crisis go to waste. And that was so present with me during the pandemic. I knew about it years ago, but in these early days of the pandemic, it just wouldn't leave my head. And I kept saying, like, why is that present for me? And how do we not let this go to waste? And so through the the Colorado Emergent series, we ended up eliciting over a thousand ideas from real Coloradans about the future they want to see in our state. And the demand, the excitement was so strong for this vision that we were compelled to form the Regenerative Recovery Coalition. I remember getting a couple phone calls from folks in the Emergent Series in tears saying, This is the one thing that has given me hope during the darkest times of my life. Please don't let it be done. What can we do next? And so we launched the coalition in October of 2020. Um, we now have over 360 members. That represent about thirty thousand jobs in Colorado. So, in our members, you can join as an individual, or you can join as an organization. And our organizational members have about thirty thousand jobs in Colorado and about seven point two billion in managed revenue. So, that just gives you a, a, a snapshot of the size of the groups that we're working with. You know, anywhere from like single entrepreneurs all the way up to you know billion dollar plus revenue companies a year. Um, So we formed the coalition. We ended up authoring a guidebook for a regenerative recovery that fall, fall of October or October of 2020. And it was a culmination of the listening sessions that I was describing that we did, the Colorado Emergent Series. We formalized that in this guidebook. And then we coined a term, a regenerative recovery. And so I've already unpacked what regenerative means. In in recovery terms, we actually put it very intentionally so in economic terms. So we define a regenerative recovery as robust localized economies that will meet human needs abundantly and equitably provide all the resources we need to not just survive, but also thrive. So that came through Colorado, you know, real citizens. They helped us kind of co-create that definition. And that's this common vision that we're working towards as a coalition. As I said, now we've have about 350 members and there's a lot of different ways that we drive change and that we organize. So I'd love to share that with you a bit more, but those are just some broad brushstrokes about how this body of work came to be.
0: Yeah. I'm really curious to hear about the eight, what did you call them? The eight what? Eight fundamentals. Yeah. I would love to hear about the eight fundamentals.
1: Sure, absolutely. And they are, um, like I said, these basically came through in the listening sessions. And we looked at, I think, six or seven different major systems that govern our lives. The ones that we didn't look at, to be very honest, were education and healthcare. And that's because we don't have direct subject matter expertise in those areas. So we didn't actually um, do sessions on them. Although, you know, I kind of wish we would have looking back at their very important systems and kind of a, a hole in our work just to be very uh, very honest there. Uh, but so the eight fundamentals that came out first and foremost is to rapidly transition to renewable distributed and reliable energy. And that was important to put in the reliable part as well because we can't you know we can't just think we can move to a grid if it's not going to be seven, 365. So looking at distributed renewable energy systems. Um, the second was one was to strengthen and improve regenerative food systems in Colorado and beyond. And, you know, these two fundamentals alone, actually, if if done at scale, would be a potential, a very large portion of a climate change solution oh, because yeah. we're addressing GHG or greenhouse gas emissions through energy, transitioning energy sector. But then the other part, and I mentioned this before, is the carbon cycle. So we naturally out carbon and the earth is naturally designed to sequester carbon but we've interrupted that cycle and we have three major carbon sinks the oceans the forests and our grasslands and regenerative agriculture actually is a carbon sink so if we can manage our um, ranches and farms with holistic management systems to improve soil health so we're not you know not industrial agriculture, not mono agriculture, true regenerative food systems like our ancestors used to do, these actually have the ability to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere into the soil. So those are very significant um, fundamentals right there. Those are just two of them. So clean energy, regenerative food systems. Uh, The third was really looking at equity and how do we uh, center our work in equity? How do we break down systems of oppression and create systems in which everyone can thrive. So equity is a third. Um, Looking at building and developing the workforce of the future is another big one. And this is one that we have had a lot of progress on as a coalition right now is how can we actually change workforce and empower people as the change agents for this movement, really leveraging workforce as a solution. Uh, The fifth one is really looking at uh, infrastructure, so both our built infrastructure, our homes, our buildings, our roads, our bridges, and also our natural infrastructure grasslands, prairies, parks, mountains, all of, you know, everything that comes in the natural world and the intersection points between them. A lot of times when we look at infrastructure, it's in silos. Here is a road or a building and here is a park. But really, how do we co-design our world to honor and find harmony in our built environment and our natural environment? So it was the fifth fundamental Uh, The sixth one is looking at our economy. So how can we actually build a circular economy? And this does have a lot of impact when it comes to waste and waste diversion. A lot of folks will think of the circular economy as it relates to waste, but it's actually whole system redesign of our economic structures using regenerative principles. So how money, capital, goods, services, people flow through our economy. Uh, The seventh one was really looking at preserving and strengthening our democratic institutions, increasing civic engagement, and really looking at our political structure and how we govern ourselves. And then the last one is really looking at partnerships for collaboration and how can we actually leverage partnerships to achieve this vision, recognizing that none of this can be done alone and it can only be done through collaboration. And that actually makes the movement a lot stronger based on principles of biomimicry, how nature thrives is through diversity, and how we too will thrive is through diversity. So that those are the eight fundamentals. There's a lot more to all of them, but those, that's just a quick rundown of them.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. And yeah, I mean, it's very clear that that was not developed in a back room where a bunch of guys are smoking cigars. That was developed <laughs> by, by talking to the citizens, right? This is yes. what the people are looking for. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so yeah, would you like to go a bit more into number four and leveraging people and how individuals or um, people, I guess, eight was collaboration. So just yeah. how we can we can make change personally?
1: Sure. Yeah. And if I may, can I share just a little bit more about the, the we call it the RRC, the Regenerative Recovery Coalition, and then I, I can go back please, to that. Is that yes, okay? Yes,
0: please do the Regenerative co- Yeah, that first. Okay.
1: Yeah, there's a couple more really cool things to share. Um. So with the coalition, I think, Very honestly, we didn't know, I didn't know that it was going to grow so big so quick and turn into this just ever expansive body of work, I kind of describe it as expansive and magnetic at the same time. Magnetic because it's attracting so much to it, but it's always continuing to expand and grow. And the sky's really the limit with this work. We've had so much success at the state level. We're starting to get you know attention really at the national and international level about replicating and scaling. We actually just got a grant award from the Hewlett Foundation to write a replication playbook to take all of the winnings, the lessons learned here in Colorado and write a playbook for replication in other places. So we'll be working on that this year. Um, But the coalition really drives action in three main ways. So first, we work with key decision makers. We work with the executive and legislative branches of the Colorado state government. Um, We work with many of the different administrative departments within the POLIS administration As well as Speaker Garnett, President Garcia, and many of our legislators, as well, looking at policy and how do we drive transformational change through policy solutions. And then within the administration, we've also been thought partners since the pandemic hit about what does this mean for Colorado? How do we build forward, recognizing we don't want to go back to normal because normal was broken. So we have official partnerships with several of the state agencies where we meet on a regular basis to provide thought leadership and guidance. And one of our big wins, I would say, is actually our policy advancement. So we do not directly lobby as an organization, but we do a lot of advocacy work. And through our relationship with the administration and elected officials, we are actually asked to create a stimulus project list to help direct ARPA funds. So how the American Rescue Plan Act dollars are allocated in Colorado. As a state, we got $3 billion of them. And through our coalition and through the guidance that we were able to provide the administration and legislators over the last session, we were actually impactful in 20 new state laws in Colorado last year that directed $456 million of the first round of our state um, ARPA dollars towards regenerative principles, towards policies that we would say align with the vision of a regenerative future. So that was a really big win. And we're you know doing a similar process right now during the legislative session But again, we don't directly lobby, but we do provide a lot of guidance and thought partnership and then partner with different groups that are, you know, more advocacy oriented. So that's the first way we drive action. The second way we drive action is really uplifting the work of our members. So within our 350 members, there is so much amazing work happening. And our goal is not to step on toes, replicate, duplicate. It's more actually to create the biggest tent possible for collaboration, connect all the amazing groups that are working on the same things, and then elevate these great examples and and be a catalyst for um, media, for funding, for other partnerships, really clearing the way for these great bodies of work to really, um, really engage, helping remove the burdens, the barriers. So one example of that, we have an amazing member, Zero Foodprint, who works on regenerative agriculture, reducing food waste, and leveraging private sector dollars through restaurants. He was on and, the show. Oh, he was. Anthony was yeah. on the show. Yeah. That's great. I just so An- talked to him the other day. So Anthony's one of our members. Um, mm-hmm. Did he mention the partnership that, that we're working on?
0: Uh, how long ago did it, was it for so
1: Shame on him. Right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so his, he was on a year ago.
1: Oh, Oh. so then this is all new then. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, it'd be interesting to interview him again to see the progress that he's made in Colorado over the last year. But we um, ended up connecting him with the Colorado Department of Agriculture and our Commissioner of Agriculture, Kate Greenberg. And we're launching a statewide soil health challenge together to really drive and private sector funding to support Colorado's ranchers and farmers um, in their land management practices towards holistic and regenerative agricultural practices. So that's uh, you know one example where... He's he's doing the work but we're the catalyst helping to connect all of the the different partners that he needs to be really
0: successful. You know, he's the man. He uh he introduced me to Paul Hawkins' work, which is oh, he wrote nice. the book Regeneration, which I read the whole yeah. thing and it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's um, Anthony Mint is just a visionary. I'm really excited to continue to work with him, you know, as is Paul Hawkins' work and particularly Drawdown is, is um, very significant as well as far as climate solutions. Certainly. And um, so then the third way we drive action, wrapping up here, three ways. Uh, the third way we drive action is through projects that we are uniquely driving ourselves. So whereas the example I was just giving, our partners are the lead. This last example is something where we've really identified a gap and we'll step in to lead projects. Um, so there. one example, I'll give two examples. Um, the first example I'll give is really on the, the fundamental for building the workforce of the future. And so how do we actually look at addressing equity and solving climate change using workforce as a solution? So if we look at, um, you know, the, the industries that are transitioning, oil, gas, coal, we're telling thousands of people that their jobs are part of the problem when it comes to climate change. And so much of how we make meaning of life and our identity comes from our jobs. I mean, they don't define us, but they do provide our livelihood, support our families and give us a sense of purpose in life. And so that can be really, that's like a a potential mental health crisis. If we're telling thousands of people, not only are you out of a job, but look at what you know, you're, you're to blame for all of this. And so I think that's a really flawed approach. So something that we're trying to do is how do we actually leverage workforce as a solution to transition folks into meaningful careers, into a regenerative economy? They choose their own de- destination, of course. We're not going to say you must go into this new career. But how can we actually support the upskilling, reskilling, skilling of our workforce into a regenerative economy? So we started asking a bunch of big questions along that, what's happening at the state, um, and found that there are kind of scattered puzzle pieces all across Colorado that are all trying to do this in siloed efforts. And so we started to convene a table of community colleges, credentialing agencies. Colorado Workforce Development Council, Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, Colorado Department of Higher Ed, um, citizens, schools, Denver Public Schools, you know, just working with tons of partners across the state to get an understanding of what's happening with workforce development, what are the gaps, what are the opportunities. And so what we came up with is really a three part strategy to upskill, reskill the workforce into the clean energy economy. So first, looking at policy, what are the policy solutions that we need to pass to incentivize these industries in Colorado? And we've made a lot of progress with that. Um, The second one is looking at a communication campaign to destigmatize the skilled trades. If you look at the massive infrastructure transition, we've talked about this a bit during this podcast, but the massive infrastructure transition needed to get to a clean energy economy, it's gonna take our skilled trades, our plumbers, our electricians, our construction workers to transition, physically transition the infrastructure we need into this future. But there's a stigma about the skilled trades and they're not promoted as a viable career option for youth graduating high school. So what we're seeing is trends of most of our youth going in, accumulating massive amounts of student loan debt that they can't pay off in the careers that are offered to them. Wages are somewhat stagnant, and there's a, a chronic labor shortage in our skilled trades. None of our partners in solar can hire enough people. They are chronically understaffed. And so we're looking at that as a major issue of how do we actually create a funnel of folks exciting into this uh, excitement into the skilled trades, showing it as a viable career option. Master electricians can make $120,000 a year. I mean, these are high-paid jobs, and that's, that's just like a base level for a master electrician. It goes up from there. High-paid, high-benefit jobs. And guess what? They're climate resilient. We will always need plumbers. We will always need electricians. So these are very stable careers that don't fall into the boom-bust cycle of, like say, oil and gas do. Um, so we identified that as an issue so working we're working to create a communication campaign to destigmatize the skilled traits to really recruit more folks into these careers with um, three different target populations. So youth children coming out of high school trying to figure out what their career path is communities of color who have continued to dish you know disproportionately bear the burdens of pretty much everything but especially. COVID recently. Um, and then our transition communities So oil, gas, coal mining in Colorado, we have a lot of rural transition communities that are facing complete devastation if there's not proactive response for how um, economies are rebuilt and how workforce is reskilled. So creating a communication campaign to support workers in those target populations. And then the third part of the strategy is actually connecting a tip-to-tail pipeline for workforce development. So if you imagine on like one end of the pipeline working with community organizations, churches, schools, um, you know, groups that are in community that have trust built with these job seekers to help recruit them into the pipeline. In the middle of the pipeline, we have credentialing agencies really grounded through our community colleges, Denver Public Schools, Solar Energy International, Grid Alternative, some of the largest, most prominent credentialing agencies into solar in the, in the world actually, um, to create a, a streamlined credentialing for folks going into the clean energy economy so that there's a consistent experience, consistent output so that there's shared curriculum agreement, you know, reduce inefficiencies and redundancies in the curriculum and create a really streamlined experience for folks where we also look at embedding equity training. And so as we're upskilling, reskilling the workforce, you know, how do we do that centered in equity and looking at not repeating the mistakes of the past and then offering career coaching services, networking, skill building, all of that kind of in the middle of the pipeline. And then what makes it really cool is we're offering wraparound services, childcare, transportation, translation services to help reduce the barriers to entry into the workforce because those are significant. Then on the other end of the pipeline are employment partners. So employers who are working with to get employer-backed hiring commitments to say all the folks that we're training in the middle of this pipeline, will you hire them? And here's opportunities for career fairs and job fairs and direct interviewing with the folks that we are um, credentialing. So that middle part, the pipeline that I was just describing, has actually been funded at about like 1.2 million um, within the last six months for actually implementing that vision. And that same group is going after a very large federal grant right Right now to um, bring millions, potentially 10 to 15 million into the state to continue to implement that work. And part of what makes us very um, proud and, and hopeful with this work is that we're really grounded in um, the community college network of the state, but particularly in two community colleges, so Northwest, which is coal country in Colorado. They have half of the coal jobs and they're about to lose them all in the next few years with the shutdowns. And then Pueblo, which is also where coal country is in Colorado, they're facing massive job loss as well. And so we're working with community groups and the colleges in those two communities to help upskill, reskill, transition their workforce. And we just got a, a employer-backed hiring commitment in Northwest Colorado to hire a 1,000 folks that we credential through this pipeline into clean energy jobs and all of the workforce up there that they're looking at is coal. And so if we're successful, we'll be not only transitioning and supporting workers, but doing it in a way that leverages workforce as a solution for climate change. So that's um, an example of one of the projects that we're
0: uniquely leading ourselves. Brenna I just I just want to say thank you like thank you so much thank you for coming on the show but but thank you for using your organizational skills to really really try to effectively heal our fractured society I I really appreciate what you're doing so much and I totally take it back the, the heart the energy heart waves they're coming through they're coming through <laughs> you the can podcast feel them? Oh,
1: good. I can feel
0: <laughs> them I'm having a hard time sitting still over here like you're getting me like all excited about the future which is the people I love to talk to so so how can like someone who's listening to this get involved in everything you were just describing back to number 4 leveraging people.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, well thank you Ethan. I I really appreciate that. Um you know, I think contact me reach out you can share my contact info check out our website thealliancecenter.org there's a link on there for the regenerative recovery coalition it's an inclusive movement we want everybody i mean we need everybody the only way that this type of work happens is through collective action and deep deep collaboration um, so check us out you can sign up on the coalition and you know through there you can kind of get into the communication into the working into the working groups Connecting with Jane Allen, who runs the program, and myself, you know, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, all of those good stuff. We're all all over that. Um, But, you know, if you're not in Colorado, I guess if you're not in Colorado, it's a whole different story, but we are looking to scale. Yeah. Um, and to grow nationally. So I think you know even if you're outside of the state and listening, please do reach out because we need we need partners everywhere to uh, to achieve the vision of this future we're working towards.
0: Yeah, I actually wanted to go into that next before we we signed off. i'm I'm wondering oh, sure. if there's anything similar out there or because it's very clear that you guys have made huge moves in our community. I'm wondering what your thoughts are for expansion or how someone else could go about creating their own alliance center in their city.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Ethan. I'll answer that in a couple different ways. Um, one is we've always been we've always had an eye for replication and scale as an organization because I think the the model the the kind of the um, recipe that we have is worth replicating. And before the pandemic, we were looking at brick and mortar replication, meaning, you know, buying or building buildings in other key capitals across the country. Like what if we had one in New York, and California, and Washington, D.C., you know, really targeted locations. And we were looking into that, um, but they're very resource intensive. I mean, you know, as a realtor, <laughs> how expensive uh, real estate is these days. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, we kind of hit pause on those plans for brick and mortar expansion but I really do think that the recipe of the Regenerative Recovery Coalition is worth replicating and there's a lot of interest out there to do so. So we've been having ongoing conversations with partners in in different states, New York, California, Arizona, Kansas, um, Atlanta, to look at replicating and what would that model be. Um, so we're, we're grappling with those questions right now internally and definitely have um, the ambition to scale nationally and like I said we just got a grant to actually write the strategy to do that so we'll be diving into that this year and um, certainly expect some growth from us in the years ahead but we're going to grow smart we're not going to you know grow too big too fast because this work could really consume if if not done thoughtfully Um, but how to replicate in your state you know I guess contact us and we can talk through it. Love to be a thought partner on that. Um, It's you know certainly a model worth replicating, but nothing that we've seen out there. I mean, we've done lots of research trying to find other models that we can say you know here's here's another model that's similar to ours and. You know, there, there is the Center for Social Innovation, which is somewhat similar when it relates to a building and, and a network, but nothing like the Regenerative Recovery Coalition really exists out there in the world from from the research that we've been doing. And I think when folks find out about it, they're just hungry for more and hungry for a model um, like this in their state. So hopefully we'll we'll see some growth in the years ahead.
0: I have absolutely no doubt with leadership, like from someone like you, and with like a clear vision, like what you have. It's it's just you've you've got you've successfully got me very excited today. So I appreciate <laughs> that because I always like to be very excited. Um, we always love to end the show with a little bit of advice for someone who is uh, passionate about creating positive change in the world. Just generally, last pieces of advice.
1: That is a deep question to end with. Um, you know, I think. This might sound so simple, and I hope it doesn't offend, but then do something about it. Like, you know, like part part of what I get so frustrated with is when folks will just complain all the time about all the problems out there, or all the things they want to see, and then I'll ask them, well, what are you doing about that? And they're like, oh, nothing. You know, so if, if all we're doing is talking, you're just going to frustrate yourself forever. So. Find little ways every day to translate that thought, that passion into action and be kind to yourself. It doesn't, you don't have to move Mount Everest, you know, just find little, little ways like, and this might sound simple. Go get your reusable grocery bag, you know, bring, bring, you know, use a reusable coffee mug, use a reusable water bottle. And those might seem like Brenna, that's, that's not going to add up to systemic change. You're right. It's not all by itself, but it's those baby steps that help you practice. You brought up the gym earlier, build muscle build your regenerative muscle and find ways to practice because you can't just expect to jump out a bed in the morning and bench press 200 pounds right you can't just expect to jump out of the bed in the morning and know how to live your life regeneratively it takes a while to do that and it takes baby steps and then the other thing i'll say and i, I mentioned this is be kind to yourself because the systems that we're living in the systems that we're products of are not regenerative systems. And so when you're trying to make that change for yourself, you're butting up against global systems of oppression. And so finding ways that you can help to break those systems down, a key way is civic engagement, vote. Vote for your you know, school board elections, vote all the way down the ballot, get engaged in civic duty because how we translate our values through the way we vote translates to who's in charge and who's writing the rules and who's governing the systems that impact our lives. So recognizing that we need both individual action every day and we need broad systems level change and finding the small little chances every day you can to do that and then don't beat yourself up if, you know. You need to go get a Big Mac one day because you just had a bad day, you know. Like, there we're human too, so so give yourself a break.
0: Definitely, and it's all a journey, and that's one of my favorite things about this podcast. Is if if you you don't believe that it's possible, you don't see other people doing it, it's hard to hard to get yourself to do it. But I I like I love to consistently bring on people to see people are really making change and doing it. All it, it just starts with a belief, and like like me guys, like I'm trying to like I don't like. Yeah, like you said, just go out get a reusable grocery bag. I'm trying to do the the zero waste thing, but I'm not going to go zero waste. I'm going to take steps and I'm going to be reasonable and you got to take into account like who you are and what you could actually handle and just just keep going on your journey. Brenna, this has been yeah. a blast. Thank you so My much. My
1: pleasure. My pleasure. You know, I actually have a couple more things to add to that last part. You
0: got it. Do you want to hear them? I want I want to hear it all I'm tempted to okay. go on for like another hour with you but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you can have me back another time yeah, yeah. um the other part of you know voting since we were just talking about that is voting with your dollars so how we spend our dollars is a vote every day in major ways you know are you patting Bezos's pocket and buying everything from Amazon? Or are you shopping locally and supporting your local economy? That's really significant. And I don't think as conscious in people's minds that every dollar you spend is a vote with your values. Um, there's a great way to do that if you look at for B Corps, which is, you know, a third party certified rigorous certification to say this company is at the highest standards of environmental social performance and how they treat their workers, their supply chain. And it's a black B in a black circle. And it's on baby food and cleaning products and, you know, all different types of stuff. So you can start to look at that and vote with your dollars as well is another really important way to um, to drive change in the world.
0: I very much agree with that. And that's kind of a big impetus behind my business itself. That was kind of mm. the whole idea. Um, thank you for, for adding that. I think that was very valuable. I, I couldn't agree more with that as well.
1: Well, and the other thing when it comes to Voting with your dollars is knowing this goes a little bit higher, right? One step higher. Where does your money sleep at night? Are you, Bank. you know, a lot of folks have credit card debt, not judging at all. That's not the point. The point you is can where judge that. Me if you want. De- <laughs> no, the point more is, Ethan, is where is that debt held? Because as you're accruing interest rates, if you're banking with companies that back some of the most polluting companies in the world, that Chase. your money. <laughs> Yeah, your money is part of the problem every night, right? You're sleeping, your money's actually making climate change worse just simply by who you bank with, where your credit cards are. So there's a great bank called Amalgamated, you can check out, they're absolutely fabulous. You know, even look at your local credit unions, that's, you know, a much more localized way to be responsible with your money, but not have it being part of these large systemic problems. So there's, you know, things like that you can look at in all aspects of your life, your clothing, your food, you know, if you kind of start breaking it down, but I would say, start with one thing at a time and really focus on, you know, the one thing that you can change and then then move it up to the rung to the next one and just keep, keep climbing that ladder and eventually you'll get there.
0: Yeah. And it, it's, it's about building that, that firm foundation, whatever is like mm-hmm. most meaningful to you, I'd recommend starting with. And it sounds like you've got a couple past episodes on this show that you might enjoy checking out in regards to uh, sustainable financing. Just from oh, the last yes. couple of weeks, yeah, we had Clean Energy Credit Union and Carbon Zero Credit Card just just uh, last week. So there's a lot of cool people doing cool things, and the, there's an interest in this stuff. So it's this, yeah. this, these industries that are caring about impact. are going to continue to grow and grow. And you, who's listening to this, can become a part of it, and you can continue to push this movement, and we can get this um, recovery going even faster. You know, I'm 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 all about that. At least,
1: absolutely. Well, it's going to take every one of us.
0: Indeed, it is. Brenna, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. What a great episode.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all your listeners out there. Have a regenerative day. Woohoo. <laughs>